Welcome back to the Meeting Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Frampton, the co-founder and CEO of SalesQ. We have a special guest with us today, Marina, the SVP of North American Sales over at ShipBob. Marina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm not sure if you've been able to tune into any episodes, but what we really like to do here on the Meeting Mastery Podcast is take the glamorous LinkedIn profile, move it to the side for a second and really focus on kind of the more adversity that you face in your career. Everybody that's been successful in sales, they all have unglamorous stories of them chipping their way to get to where they are today. Curious, when you're thinking about those times for you, what are some things that that come to mind? Yeah, first of all, I just love that this is a topic that you cover. I feel like we hear the, you know, rose colored glasses story all the time. And it's so nice to hear that there's blood, sweat and tears that went into that. I um, started my career in 2008, 2009. So not a great time to start your career. And so I wasn't even sure I wanted to get into sales. I just wanted a job, right? So I graduated and I was bartending for another year after graduation and just literally talking to everyone. I mean, hey, I'm looking for a job. I'm entry level. I'll take anything like straight out of college. And so someone, you know, people would give me their cards. And so finally I found a company that was hiring um, business development, super entry level and found my way in. And like, I swear to God, I didn't even know what the company did for the first six months that I worked there. I was just like, I'm going to show up. There's an office. They go to happy hour. This is great. I think sales always had a bit of a negative connotation. So for the first year or two of my career, I looked at it as a means to an end, right? Like I'm going to just cut my teeth here and then move on to something else. And so I wasn't doing myself any favors with that mentality because I wasn't really embracing it. It was just like, if you think of something as like transactional or temporary, you're not going to give it your all. So when I wasn't super successful right off the bat, I was getting frustrated, but like, obviously it was my own mentality that was stopping me from being successful. So um, once I started to see other people being really successful in the same role, the competitive side of me came out and I was like, wait, if they can do that, I can do that. Maybe there's something here that could be a little bit longer term. So flip my mentality, you know, and it's all such a mental game and started to find some success in the role. Um, it was kind of a soup to nuts type sale. So we were doing our own prospecting and then kind of closing the business. This was in freight logistics. So a lot of folks start in that industry and it's a really great industry to start in because it's huge. There's a ton of customers. The TAM is massive. And so anyway, so after that, I got recruited to a startup um, based out of Boston that was looking for people with some logistics experience. And so kind of made that leap. It was super exciting. It was a huge salary jump. I was like 24. I was like, I made it. This is it. Like sales is awesome. I moved over there and I think it was my first experience with like a real startup, like a series A. And so we were under-resourced, grinding. I loved it. I loved the grind, but it was very, very difficult to be successful with such limited resources. I definitely found some success there, but ultimately that startup got purchased by the company I left to go work there. So that was a little awkward. So I was like, okay, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> so I don't want to go back to the original company. So, and then that's when I moved over to Trunk Club. And Trunk Club was a company that was doing online personal styling. So if you're like familiar with Stitch Fix, any of those, that was the first to market. And it was really exciting. It had this glamorous office in Chicago. We were, you know, working like seven days a week, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks. And it was just like the prime time in my career to do that. I didn't have kids. I had no responsibilities and it was just time to grind. But the adversity that I was up against in that 
position was just my own confidence. You know, I looked around the room and there was people that had better connections than me. And so they had more sales because it was very much like a connections business. And then there were people who had been doing it longer. And I just kept getting in my own way, like not believing that I earned a seat at the table. That was so brutal. So it would just ebb and flow for a while. And luckily I had a manager who became a mentor who saw more in me than I saw in myself. And she was like, listen, you're doing all the right things, but I think you're in the wrong position. I think you need to be coaching people. So I went into this hybrid role of like sales manager and still an individual contributor. And that's where, you know, I feel like I really hit my stride in terms of what was fulfilling for me was really seeing someone else that I'm working with be successful. So hit that stride. That was awesome. But then that, you know, was the next level of complexity of like, how can I be a manager? I have no management experience. Like, who do I think I am? And so, you know, that's when the imposter syndrome kicks in and you go back to that uphill battle of not believing in yourself. So I would say that's the biggest area of adversity I've come up against is just my own confidence and believing that I should be in the seat I'm in. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy how many people we talk to that you look at and you're like, these are like ultra successful, like everybody wants to have their their job, have their career. And every single one of them is kind of like, should I even be in this job? Like, I, I, yeah. I don't know if I'm qualified for it. Right. So I think uh, it's very similar to a lot of folks that that we've talked to, for sure. You mentioned a little bit around how you weren't really feeling like you were hitting your stride necessarily in more of the individual contributor role and then moving to the more coaching role that's where things more click. I often hear that like what makes a great rep doesn't make a great leader and vice versa. What are some things that that you really learned making that transition around like what made you such a better like coach and leader versus going like the individual contributor track? Yeah, it's a great question. I um as an individual contributor, I was always consistent, which was good, but I was like consistently like 85 to 95%, right? I was never 150, 200% of quota. Um, So it was fine, but it's hard to get excited uh, for someone who's really goal oriented on like not smashing goals and seeing your peers smashing goals. And I had like this pivotal moment where I was in that hybrid role and it was the last day of the month. We were on monthly quotas. It was the last day of the month and someone on my team needed help with something at the same time that I had a sales opportunity. And so I had to make that choice, right? I'm like, am I going to help myself get to quota? Am I going to help this person get to quota? And I ended up helping the other person and no one told me to, it was just a choice I made. And then, so then that made me think like, why did I make that choice? And why was that so much more fulfilling? Like I was so much more excited and I would have made more money if I um, got myself to quota. I was just so much more excited to kind of guide and have a hand in that person's success. So it was really organic for me, which is kind of nice. I didn't force it. I hadn't even thought about leadership at that point. Um, Sometimes when you're not looking for something is when it presents itself. Yeah. And I think another big thing is some people try to make career decisions based off of like what financial success you're going to have or like what looks good on a spreadsheet. But Mm -hmm. I think the word that you said there, which is excitement is really where I try to follow. Like what, what am I going to be excited to do when I wake up in the morning? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're going to put your all in and actually be successful at the end of the day because you have that motivation to do it. So I think that that's super interesting. What are some things that you saw from the people that you were managing, maybe in like either that first coaching role or even now that you're seeing your team do that 
really makes people stand out from others. Um, another light bulb moment for me was like the people that really get ahead are the ones that make their manager's job really easy. So like the people that don't just come with a problem, but come with a proposed solution, right? And so it's the people that take it a step further. It's okay to come to your manager with a problem and say, I have no idea how to solve this, but like, here are some of the things I've been thinking through, or here's how I think we got here. Just any of that context versus just showing up and saying, everything sucks. I can't win. I'm not being positioned to win. So that's when, you know, and that was feedback that I got from my CRO here at ShipBob. At one point, he was like, I just need you to be a little bit more company oriented. Right now, you fight for your team all the time, and that's great. But like, are you thinking about what's best for the company? And so once you zoom up and actually have a North Star, I feel like those people are the best leaders. Yeah. And I feel like I like when I was, I went from sales manager to leading like the SMB department at Vidyard. And I feel like that was like the biggest shift I had to make. I think I got to where I got to because I was like grittily fighting for my team all the time and trying to get them better compensation, trying to get them more pipeline, et cetera. But then as you grow in your your leadership career into more of a senior level role, you really need to stop and think, okay, like, well, at the end of the day, we all have jobs because of the business. So if we're, mm-hmm. if we're constantly trying to fight for just the team and losing sight around the bigger picture, it's not going to work out too well. And that it's, it's sometimes hard to, to make that switch of mindset. Absolutely. I think it is almost all new managers lean towards the team, right? Because you want the buy-in from the team. You want the team to trust you. You're feeling a little unsure and unstable because you're not a, you know, you haven't been a manager before. And so that's the path of least resistance. And then I would say like one, two, three years in is like when that shift starts to happen, usually happens around the director level. I found like, I think director is like the most challenging position because you go from being a manager, doing all the tactical day-to-day execution stuff to having to level up to like strategy and thinking company minded and like towing the line and oftentimes managing some of your former peers and things like that. But it's such a profound shift in your career. Like once you master that, it's a whole new mindset. Yeah, no, exactly. Because I've also seen it the other way where people tow the, they, they don't go team focused, they go mm-hmm. the CRO focused and then the team ends up, hey, you, you really need to balance it well. So no, I think- yeah. I think you're absolutely right. One other thing we like to ask uh, the salesers that come on the show is, especially in this climate right now, like what specifically do you recommend all account executives be doing during their calls that will help them be set up for success to close more, grow their deal size, close faster, like anything that comes to mind? Curious what uh, what you would say is like the number one thing you you would suggest sellers to do right now. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of cliche, but problem solve on behalf of your client, right? Don't just... Tell them they're an idiot because they don't buy your product because look at our ROI and it's so great. And why would you not want this? It's like, how does it solve their problem? And I was actually listening to another podcast yesterday where they were talking about selling um, color printers to superintendents of schools. And they're like, you know what superintendents don't care about? Printers. You know what they do care about? High test scores so their schools can get funding. And so the pitch there is your uh, students are disengaged because these black and white printers are not engaging to them. So if you invest in these color printers, you'll get more engagement, they'll listen more, test scores will go up. It's like, it's never a straight line anymore, right? Like it's a pretty squiggly road. And so if you've done your discovery properly, you understand what the company is facing in terms of challenges, what some of their headwinds are, and then how the decision makers are incentivized. And then you're catering your pitch to them rather than just feature dumping. ShipBob's the best fulfillment service in the world. Why wouldn't you use ShipBob? 
Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think even Dan Wardle, who is the one that introduced us, uh, mm -hmm. he always liked to say when I was being onboarded at Vidyard is you really need to understand just how people make money. Like ask yeah. them, like, how does this business make money? Because from the surface, it sometimes seems a certain way, but it actually is completely different. And that's how you need to be crafting your pitch, especially when you're selling something like Vidyard. But no matter what you're selling, there's different objectives and higher level goals that will get the highest level decision makers to actually make a purchase decision. And if you're not aligning to that, like yeah. you're, you're toast. And there's always a hot topic, right? Every company has a hot topic, whether it's margin, whether it's revenue, whether it's profitability, whatever it is. And like, once you uncover that, it's so much easier. How would you say is the best way to go about uncovering that? Because a lot of reps, like they say that, how do I ask that? Like, how do I, how do I really get someone to be honest with me there? Like, do you have any advice around how to approach that from a research questions to ask? Yeah. I mean, I'm the easiest person in the world to sell to because I know what people want to know. And I'm just like an open book, right? I love candor and I just love when people are direct. And so I think obviously building that rapport to build that safe space where they feel really comfortable sharing with you. If you're reading through your discovery doc because your manager is going to kill you if you don't read through your discovery doc, that is the worst way to go about it. I think the most impactful and profound conversations happen when it's organic, it's natural, you're just kind of flowing. I would say deviate from the, you know, my team will be shocked to hear me say this, but deviate from the process when, you know, the opportunity presents itself to have a deeper conversation and just talk with the person. Everyone loves to talk about themselves. And so if you really do a good job creating that safe space and safe environment, and then ask them questions like, what's really important to you? Like, how are you evaluated at the end of the year? What's your bonus based on? Like, where is your company trying to go next year? And what are the goals? People will usually be really open to sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. They feel like you're truly are trying to actually help them. So mm -hmm. I think that makes a ton of sense. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for watching everybody. Now a quick word from the company powering the podcast. Talk to you all next episode. Watching call recordings on 2X Speed is not only exhausting, but is also a waste of time for sales reps and leaders. With SalesCube, you can take concise notes with just a click of a button during your calls, so you can stay focused on the conversation. These notes are visible in real time, ensuring that you have all the critical information you need while it matters. After the call, the notes are automatically added to your CRM, providing your sales leader with all the information they need. Sales leaders no longer need to spend hours watching calls to identify if their coaching has been implemented. They can simply add feedback to SalesQ and their sales team will be reminded in real time to execute on it. Sales reps can also submit evidence of their implementation of the feedback with just a click of a button, giving sales leaders an accurate picture of how the team was adopting their coaching. Want to help a specific rep improve? You can view calls where feedback was missed within your favorite call recording platform. Experience a more efficient way of managing your sales team with SalesQ.